Did Jack, did you clap? I wasn't watching. Okay, cool. Uh, okay. Rip it, guys. Standing there by the vending machine It couldn't have been much more than 3.15 The heat was coming down In the mood for something brown, brown, brown And I could tell he made his choice And it was so good, so good And I could tell it wouldn't be long Till he gave me a bite, big bite Saying I love Toblerone So give me a chunk of that fucking candy I love Toblerone So come on, take your hand and give me a piece Ow! He smiled at me and I said, I'm in a rush. I said, just give me a bite, I won't take that much. He said, I gotta pee. I said, give some to me. I said, give me some of that candy and your pee. Yes, your pee. Next thing I know, he gave me some of his pee and had me singing, singing, I want Toblerone. Your pee is good, but not all that dandy. I love Toblerone. So let me crunch down on some sweet candy. Ow! I come to the front of the stage and I soak the audience with piss out of a gun, out of a squirt gun. Said I'll trade you a kiss, then you can take your piss. Next, we were swapping spit and eating candy. Yes, candy. Then I showed him a funny little song. Sing, sing it with me. Sing it, I love Toblerone. So give me a chunk of that fucking candy. I love Toblerone. So come on, take your hand and give me a piece. I love Toblerone. So give me a chunk of that fucking candy. I love Toblerone. Come on, take your hand and give me a I love Toblerone So give me a chunk of that fucking candy I love Toblerone So come on, take your hand and give me a I love Toblerone So give me a chunk of that fucking candy I love Toblerone So come on, take your hand and give me a I love Toblerone So give me a chunk of that fucking candy I love Toblerone So come on, take your hand and give me a Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, really bad. <laughs> that was really gross that I did that. I was talking about pee and that took so many turns. That was <laughs> that was what was like I like when you said like give me a bite of that fucking candy. I was like oh this is like I get the stick and this is fun. Uh, and then it was it, you know it was fun throughout I guess. It, but, that uh, was really the in, that was the intersection of and I'd never thought that these three would intersect in this way, but the intersection of you know Joan Jett, sure. the original the writer of that song, uh, and Weird Al Yankovic, and then also Gigi Allen, yeah. um, or yeah. our friends, uh, our our friend Mr. Joker. Um, yeah, I think very, the Joker would find that song very normal, actually, if he was... Yeah. Oh, right, there. right. He'd be like, this is lame. 
<laughs> he would be like, been there, done that stupid shit. I've been yeah. <laughs> drinking so Why much did they bother writing me. something so mundane down? Why he's uh, going down... He's going down the street and he's just listening to that on his headphones and finds a pregnant lady and goes, "Hey, do you? I, wa- I have a song I want to play for your baby." And that's like that's actually that's his white noise when he goes to bed. Yeah, he is a stupid piece of shit. Welcome to it's. On the list. <laughs> this is a podcast about underrated. Fuck that uh, Joker. Fuck the Joker. This is a podcast about underrated music, uh, movies, and apparently wanting to eat a Toblerone so bad you'll drink someone's pee for it. Kind of a bear. Why are you being movie. surprised? You wrote the song. I think it's surprising. Why are you shocked by it? <laughs> I think it's something. <laughs> I don't think you have anything to be ashamed of, brother. I think that you, this is, you know, your art, this is your truth, and you're speaking it. And I'm very proud of you. I've never once done that. Like, I want to be very clear. Like, that's not speaking from personal hey, experience. You here. don't need to backtrack. I'm not. You're making backtrack. progress. No, 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 no. Accept I'm not... some compliments here, brother. Hey, yeah. I just want to make Don't be it very such clear. an asshole and drink this piss. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Fucking mail me some of your guys' piss. I'll take a drink. Already on the way. I'll review it on the show. Okay, check your doorstep right now. Walk, walk, walk. Creek open. Holy shit. Or should I say holy piss? Jack, is this your pee? It's it's not. Oh, fuck. (laughs) It's mine. (laughs) It's your pee? It's mine, yes. I I had a, a temporal pincer movement like in Tenet. And I went, well, back in time for you, but forward in time for me. And I dropped off that pee uh, on your doorstep. Well, let me take a quick drink real quick. Mmm. <laughs> that, that, that is really good. That's that, right. That is really good pee, Mason. You are doing a great job over there in Chicago. Thanks, I've been hydrating. I've what been you, hydrating What do you lot. call that blend that I just had? Uh, that was a, uh, uh, water, carrot, ginger, turmeric blend. Um, cause I put my, my, my penis in that, in a blend of those three oh, things. You put, you put your penis peed. in a blend of those Yeah, things. no, you want to marinate your penis for like a I put my penis like in a, a blender and then sent you. <laughs> so far. Yeah, is that not pee? Oh, is that not that piss? Is, when, that, when you're talking about piss, you're not referring to your penis blended <laughs> up in a smoothie? Listen, I'm not the one who thought 9-11 happened 10 years before it actually did happen, so maybe... No, I thought the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 was on 9-11. That's why we started saying Nevin Forget on 9-11. That's actually why we did that. Anyway, you guys know what show this is. Hey, real question. What? Yeah, what's up? When when do you think time will forget about 9-11? Great question. I pers- it's gonna be like a Pearl Harbor kind of thing. That's what I. That's exactly it, what always- I say when people yeah. are like, "Oh, like they'll never forget," and I'm like, "Oh, really? Then how did you commemorate Pearl Harbor Day this year?" Damn. Fuck. Damn. What do they do after you say that? Do they like drop to? They one drink knee? my piss, <laughs> which is actually just the tip which of is your a blend. So- yeah, it's just a blend of the tip of my penis, which I guess is weird now. <laughs> This fucking PC culture won't let me talk about my pee, which is actually just the tip of my penis, soaked and marinated for days. Um, I'm going to introduce our guest now. You've heard his voice already. Yeah. Uh, our guest today is a writer and director whose film Alpha Quail is available to watch on YouTube. Uh, he's also bottling his pee and sending it to people. Uh, please welcome back to the show, this time over Zoom, Jack Freiberger. Jack, welcome back. Jack, Jack. Hi, back. thank you for having me. 
You're welcome. What would you call that move that you were just doing? You were like shooting guns into your wall or something. I mean, that's, yeah, like a gun flick. You you basically got it, shooting guns into the wall. I think that's what we could call it. Yeah. It is very cool that that is something you're allowed to do. I did not realize you specifically were legally allowed to own a gun. I thought I think that's very cool. that. Oh, not legally. That got you. That would actually make more sense. Uh, how are we feeling today, though? We were talking a little bit before, maybe not feeling in top shape today. Terrible. No, I'm feeling very well. Good. Uh, my ear hurts. <laughs> that is my contribution. Oh, no. What is that? Uh, do you know what it, what's up with that? Like, No, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, every time, like, when I do my outside walk, I just, like, feel like shit, even though I take my antihistamine. So, you know, I feel like it's yeah. just, like, a combination of, like, allergies and, like, maybe, like, a sinus oh, infection sure. yeah. of some kind or just made a, something no. small. Yeah, my sinuses like a, a do the same thing. a science fiction of some kind? No, <laughs> not like not like not like that. Actually, no, not like that at all. But no, yeah, Mason, keep keep going. Your sinuses are doing uh, what? No, oh, my sinuses sinus are doing that for a long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say go uh, st- sit under some steam. Like if you have a humidifier, just get that thing going nice and good up your schnoz there. Yeah. Uh, Flonase and going really hard on the antihistamines. And hopefully, I don't know what the cl- what it's like in in um, Oregon in the springtime, but it's sp- especially in Chicago in the springtime, I'm really like if I go outside, I'm like already uh, even without the mask. You know, the mask. The mask being on though, I do like the mask. I do feel like I get a fair amount of pollen protection when I'm walking around with the mask on um which is you know will probably be with less and less frequency uh now that i'm about to get my second shoddy oh Uh, yeah but man i do uh i hate allergies though i like spring springs beautiful uh aesthetically uh but everything being in bloom just really fucks me up for like five weeks and i hate it (laughs) yeah it's fucking shitty and i actually got allergy shots when i was a kid i feel like i've talked about this on the show before i like would go in like on a periodic schedule and like get shots that were supposed to like boost my immune system because it was like grass oh, wow. pollen, you know, weed pollen, also weed, haha, uh, <laughs> 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 cats, dust mites, molds, like pretty much everything that like sucks to be around, I was like allergic to in the first place. So I like went in and got these shots. Then when I moved to Southern California, most of my allergies just went away, like, entirely. So, like, for most right. of the, you know, allergy seasons or whatever, I wouldn't even be in Portland. I just know that, you know, once I'm at full immunity and once I officially do move back to L.A., there's just no way that I can come back here in, like, the springtime. It's just, like, too brutal for everything. But, Jack, where are your allergies at? Let's get an allergy check on the guest. Fine. <laughs> Spring where I'm stuffy, but I've I've never uh, particularly had bad allergies. I'm just what you call better than both of you. So a little bit superior <laughs> genetically in a some little, ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. You did another desk. You did another uh, gun flick when you did that. When you said you were better than us, um, just wanted everyone to know that you're 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 popping off over there. Yeah, he's taking shots, uh, and I don't know if we're no and I are going to be quick enough to dodge it, but we'll see. Whoa, we will see. Watch out. Oh, watch out. Jack's doing a yeah. fucking desk. I was I keep wanting to call it a desk pot from the other guys. No, that yeah, that's that's copyrighted. So I, I just call this shooting the ceiling. Shooting. Shooting, <laughs> shooting the ceiling. Yeah, just shooting the ceiling. Well, 
Let's talk about the album. <laughs> let's let's just talk about the album. Uh, okay, we got two guest it. choices this week, both from Jack. We're going to talk about that album first. Jack, what are we talking about this week in the album world? Cool for Cats by Squeeze. Snap, 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 snap. Jack, you could have picked a lot of different albums, but you picked this one. Why? Uh, well... One, I wanted to do something a little different, so, okay. you know, didn't want to necessarily do, like, a classic that jumped up, because we did, uh, last time I was on the show, a pretty, uh, well-known, but great album. Sure. Uh, this is just, you know, it's, a it's, a I think a great pop album. It's, uh, really, uh, yeah, I think it's just a great pop album. That's, that's the full answer. That is the full answer. Well, what yeah. is your history with nice. this album? When did it first come into your life? How has your relationship with it changed or not changed? So actually, the the first time I heard uh, this album was, uh, or not this album, but the song Up the Junction was uh, Edgar Wright shared the song on uh, Twitter and uh, was just like underrated banger. Um, But I'm sure he had a better terminology for it. But he said like that. And I was like, he's right. It is an underrated banger. And uh, I just, like, I loved that song. I was just, like, I had for years loved that single song. And I went to a Squeeze's, like, this probably is before Spotify. This is, like, I went to their Apple page or, like, iTunes page. Hell yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah, no, it absolutely was because it was when you would have to buy a song if you wanted to keep getting their songs. And I was, like, okay, I'm not gonna spend like fifty dollars to get these guys but like i like these couple songs and for a while uh they were just like a band that i had a couple songs by them that i really liked specifically up the junction an underrated banger to quote edgar wright and uh uh eventually just one day i think then once i had spotify listened to the whole album i was like this is fucking sick and uh every once it actually pops up in uh pop culture like quite a bit in very odd places and usually like uh once i hear a song i'm like oh hell yeah this album and like the next day i I will just like listen to the full album you said something that doesn't didn't 100 percent make sense to me so i want to go back and clarify it you said i don't want to spend 50 dollars on these guys but i'll spend a couple dollars what does that mean what is on the itunes store that's 50 dollars Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying. Yes, true. It's back when, like, if you liked a band, like, you still would kind of pick and choose because, you know, we weren't made of money here. Yeah, I I did the same thing. It would be like, I wouldn't, I never pestered my parents for iTunes money. I would just wait for, like, birthdays and holidays to get, like, uh, iTunes gift cards and then just go fucking ape, but only, like, get, like, the top five, um songs from a given artist because it's like i gotta ration out these credits towards the store that i yeah, have exactly. you know um but i yeah so do you remember what the top five for squeeze was when you were like trying to buy this i have an idea of what one might not number one literally but what one would be uh, i think it, i think it would be number one because i think we're thinking of the same thing mason are you thinking of tempted yeah yeah i think that was i think that's their number one song i think if you don't even really know squeeze I feel like you know the song Tempted because it was sort of their breakout Definitely. hit. Definitely, yeah. And I feel like that's like a classic rock kind of radio staple too. Or at least like the radio I was listening to.
was probably on their top five. Um, for me, I know Black Coffee in Bed was a major one. That's like a song I like uh, still listen to often to when I'm getting up in the morning. Uh, cool for Cats, like the, the title song was probably up there. I know that's a big song of theirs. Um, what I have here, I'm looking at their, I'm looking at Squeeze's verified artist page on Spotify. Number one, with 27 million plays, Tempted. Number two, Up the Junction with 15 million plays. Number three, Hell yeah. Cool for Cats with 8 million plays. Number four, Pulling Muscles, parentheses, from the shell with 11 million plays. So even though it has more plays than Cool for Cats, it's lower on their play rank. I don't really fully understand the Spotify yeah, I don't get algorithm that. for that. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then at number five is also Cool for Cats, but it's off the, what do they call these? The, okay, the... Is it like the 20th century 20th century thing? Masters. That's exactly masters, what it is. There you go. I love that banner, man. I love those. I just love the the, the design of those CDs is just, it's it's Walmart kind of shelves, dollar bins, your parents' CD collection when they got into like compilations. Yeah. Go to for the greatest hits. Yeah. It was weird because I would like see bands on that when I was a kid and the title is 20th Century Masters and it would be like Orleans, 20th Century Masters. And yeah. I'm like, these guys are not 20th Century Masters. They had one song that fucking slaps and everything else is who cares. So pretty crazy. That was a pretty crazy moment in my life when I realized that. time i was buying itunes songs it was like the most downloaded tracks were from the greatest hit albums they weren't totally. from because usually yeah. people were buying albums they would just buy those and so like i have so many because this also isn't like with spot spotify kind of does this thing where like i feel like they have the same album artwork so if you listen to like a compilation they'll sometimes use you you know what i'm talking about they'll sometimes like pop in the the just original artwork if you're listening to it in a compilation? Yeah, that's happened to I me I think before. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but like very iconic. I just remember, yeah, the 20th Century Masters banner on like half of my music. It's, well, I mean, why would you not? What is it? What movie is it where... Lady Bird, the most it, mediocre overrated movie that's been released in a very long time when she says, why would you want to get all the greatest hits because of the greatest? Yes, that is ex literally exactly what I was thinking of. That is so fucked, dude, that you knew it's, that. It's actually, head. well, so I defend, it's the only really funny line in that movie. No, oh, come on, dude. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> I got to rewatch Lady Bird. I got to rewatch Lady Bird. That's all I'll contribute to this. Dude, you are being a pussy by not giving your opinion on Lady Bird right now. Basically. No, I just haven't seen it since I was like, in t I haven't seen it since it came out. I loved it at the time, though. I will say that. I loved it at the time. I thought Good was, for uh, you. Uh, I yeah, remember I seeing it in theaters. Uh, remember when we could do that? Remember when we could yeah. see movies in theaters? Yeah. Yeah. Remember seeing it in theaters uh, at the Irvine, like near UCI theater, which is where all the Chapman kids would go and see the like limited releases and stuff like that. Uh, and I remember getting a call, I'm not going to say who from, but I was working on a student production as the first assistant director, and it was like the day before we were shooting or whatever. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to see Lady Bird tonight. I don't give a shit. And I'm like getting a call like over and over again, like in the middle of the movie. And I'm like, I guess I have to step oh, out and take no. this. And this guy is calling me and he's like, 
hey, I don't know what we're going to do. We don't have, like, stingers. We don't have, like, this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't, you think I care <laughs> if you have stingers when we get to set? I'm the first AD. Talk to your producer about it. Then I, like, hung up and went back in and watched the rest of Lady Hell Bird. yeah. Yeah, it was really awesome. I'll tell you who that's that was a, off mic jack. But it was, that's a real producer shit. That's some, that's some real, like, uh, wheeler and dealer shit. That's a cool story. Yeah, it was really awesome because I missed part of Lady Bird to tell a guy I don't talk to me about this i don't give a shit um, um if it's any cool. consolation i liked that story thank more you than oh <laughs> i liked it too wow damn so, so i think that's a better product of ladybird than the actual movie but that... this is not the ladybird <laughs> podcast that's that fair, is yeah. crazy I, I, that is crazy <laughs> thing to say um mason what's your history with squeeze uh it's just tempted <laughs> basically before this this is like uh my parents were kind of into like this era of music but they were more into like if they passed anything down to me it would be like Elvis Costello and the attractions like they really liked Elvis Costello like one of my the early, one of the earliest album co- al- album covers I just like have a memory of being just really striking is the uh, is my uh, parent CD for Spike um the Elvis Costello album and they liked like m- I know my mom's mentioned like liking Marshall Crenshaw and stuff in the past and I think that, like, they did listen to this music because this came out, like, when they were going into college because my parents were born in the early 60s. Um, and this album would have came out when they were 16, 17, probably. Um, but if they listened to it, they never told me or shared it with me. So really, for until this week when I was getting ready for the podcast, all of the squeeze that I can remember hearing is Tempted by the Fruit of Another, Tempted but the Truth is Discovered, What's Been Going On Now That You've Been Gone, There's No there's no Other. And I love that song, and that's all I want to say about it. I'm looking at the Spike album cover, which I have never seen before. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty striking. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a big one. It looks like a fucking like, Pee Wee's Playhouse like type yeah. shit. It's the that, one where he's like clown painted, right? Yeah, it looks like two. Like, yeah. It's like the V and his and his E's like popping out at you. Yeah, it's like almost like the Warner Brothers like outward like logo, and then Spike, the I in Spike looks like a T, so it's like Spike. <laughs> it's like Spike, and it's really gross. It sucks. This album cover sucks dick really bad. Sucks P really bad. Uh, <laughs> so I first heard the song "Tempted" on a VH1 like marathon of the 100 top one hit wonders do you guys remember when those kind of shows existed oh yeah that classic sick day sick day viewing yes that and like knowing that it was going to be on vh1 and like asking your parents to like dvr it for you or like something like that so you could like watch it on the weekend or something like that and it would just be like the hour long, you know, 80, 101 to 80 or something like that. And then like 79 through 61 or like whatever it was. And you would just watch like the five episodes and they would count down the top 100 one hit wonders. And they included Tempted on that list. They called Squeeze a one hit wonder. They said that Tempted was sort of. Bastards. I know. It is bad. It's a fucking sick thing to do is to call Squeeze a one hit wonder band because. As we're gonna talk about here in a sec, I would argue they are more than a one-hit wonder. I would say they're a multiple-hit wonder band. Absolutely. But I never really listened to them otherwise. I had tried listening to the album that Tempted was on, which I think is called East Side something. Mason, do you know what that is off the top of your head? Uh, Not off the top. No, not off the top of my head. East Side Uh, Story. Got it. Which is a play on West Side Story, which I know is cool to do to play it off West Side Story. Um, so yeah, that was basically my 
only interaction with Squeeze. I didn't even finish East Side Story because I was like, Tempted's pretty good. That's kind of all I want. Uh, so this was exciting to be able to jump into a completely separate world from the Tempted world. And just right off the bat, the guy who sings Tempted is not the lead singer of Squeeze. It's like a completely different guy in the band. So every song on this album is by a different guy, which is also just like fun, like, you know, if you know that song. Well, what do we like, Jack? What do we like on this album? What do you like about this album? <laughs> uh, uh, it's an album I listened to and like the first few t- the first time I listened to it I was like this is a good album these are like my two songs that I really really like from it and then each time I listened to it I would add another like song and I'm like oh this song also slaps and um like is it the most uh beautiful album like ever written well up the junction's a pretty beautiful <laughs> song but uh, besides that no, not particularly. I really but it's thought just you were going to come it's back with, is it the most beautiful album of all time? Probably. It's probably the most beautiful album ever. I mean, like, like, absolutely, undeniable, it is the the best album ever written. Uh, and uh, I think that's good for the podcast. I think that's good for the podcast, too. I think it's good for the podcast. Mason, what do you like about this album? I, I'm kind of with Jack, honestly. Like, it was, it's interesting. Like, I listened to it the first time. Uh, and I was like, this is pretty good. I'm not into every single song, but there were a couple on there that I was like, no, I really, I really do like these songs and I could see myself going back to them. And then I gave it another listen. And at that point I just wrote down like this whole album is Bop City, basically. Like, uh, there's still a couple songs that I think Bop slightly less hard, but there's the bulk of this album put it on and just like fucking shake it out basically you know um it's it's so um fun and just like kind of um poppy and um but it can sometimes be just like super um well i'll get into it when i talk about specific songs but on the whole man this album was a ton of fun and i'm really happy that i listened to it noe where are you on this guy i don't know it's hard for me to say if i had the same like journey of it as as you mason or if i had a slightly different journey with it but either way when i first was listening to it when the first couple songs were on i was like okay this is this is fine i don't like love what i'm hearing so far like it's okay and then like the back part of the album comes on and i'm like yeah this is very good this is like a very (laughs) second half of this album i think that's where the album comes alive for me it's up the junction all the way to the end of Cool for Cats is, like, probably the most consistently fun and consistently, like, rockin' yeah. part of the album, yeah. more or less. But I think I was able sort of to figure out what it, like, what the sort of trick of this album is for me personally. And we can sort of dive in and talk about this a little Ooh, bit, like, lay it on okay. a little bit further, which is I like when this album leans more into power pop and less into traditional British new wave. Because I feel like there's some songs on this that lean very much into the synths and very much into sort of the, like, you know, Depeche Mode type sounds, you know? Right. And then there's stuff on this that leans very much into, like, power pop. And I actually was thinking about Elvis Costello when I was listening to a lot of these songs. And I prefer the stuff that's a little bit more power poppy. I think my three favorite tracks on the album are the second track, Review. That song just really makes me feel mm. like I lived in a time that I like didn't live in and like made me nostalgic for that time and also just like kind of felt like a sunny day. 
Uh, it's so dirty feels like a dance scene, you know, like a sock hop type thing from a time that I wasn't from. Uh, and then mm-hmm. Goodbye Girl is like a little bit emotional. It has like a little bit of a nice like. Whoa. And now it's one of my favorite songs on that Damn. album. I've like listened to it. A co- like that is a song that grew on me. And I love it now. It is so great. It is a it great is so track. Great. And it might even be my favorite song on the entire album, to be totally honest with you. It's wow. really uh, good. I will need to come around to that one. Uh, <laughs> are you not Are you not there with it, Mace? What's going on? Uh, not quite. But again, I liked most of this album. I did uh, give a... Here's my hearts on Spotify right now. Review. Yep. Touching Me, Touching You. Didn't like that one at all. It's probably yeah, my like least favorite song on the album. Keep going. Uh, it's So Dirty. Yep, great. Which I think has my maybe tied for my favorite song on the album. Um, and then Hop, Skip, and Jump, really liked, of course. And it, basically the same thing. Uh, Up the Junction, also just that's... Up the Junction was kind of when the lock turned for me, and I just really, like, felt the album uh, the first time. Hard to Find, which is also tied for my favorite song on the album, I think. Uh, slightly, uh, yeah. slightly Drunk and Cool for Cats are all my hearts right now. I can easily see that changing, though. Um, just because... Each and each time, so I listened to the album twice, and then I listened to every song that I gave a heart to again before we started recording uh, or before the Zoom call started. Um, and I was like, these songs are real, really are really growing on me. There's some real growers here, um, and it just you know your guys's enthusiasm for Good Guy Girls making me uh, uh, want to give it another shot. <laughs> Would you say that some of these songs are growers and some of them are showers? Uh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You, pi- you were picking up exactly what I was setting down, Chef. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah, that's what we call Mason saying something that is sexual, and me being like, "Do you actually mean this even more sexual thing?" Than being like, "I guess so." I don't like you very much. I wish that you wouldn't have said and that. And that's. <laughs> so that's actually, that's actually what that alley oop is actually exactly that. Is, that's what alley oop. Yeah, is thank you for world. describing an alley oop for us. You're so welcome. Uh, I brought some clips. Nice. <laughs> I brought some clips. Can I show you guys some clips? Yeah, brother, do it. Okay, here we go. First clip from Bananas in Pajamas. You guys remember this show? Yeah, yes. I remember the. Tr- the teasers on VHS. Bananas in pajamas are coming down the stairs. So I used to watch Bananas in Pajamas, or Bananas in Pajamas, however you want to say it, at the beach house that my grandparents owned. It was one of the only VHS tapes they had there for some reason. And this album reminded me of Bananas in Pajamas. Because of the theme song. Wow, what a connection. That really was like, it like unlocked that memory for me in listening to that. And then my second clip is from the same VHS tape. And I truly believe what I'm about to say. I think that this clip, we're not going to watch the entire thing. We'll just watch like a minute of it or whatever because it's like three minutes Mm. long. I truly think... This is the most nostalgic thing I can think of for me. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh. I saw the title. Yes, oh. here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Look, there, we, there she is. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. 
So this would come on at the beginning of the Bananas in Pajamas It was thing. at the beginning of a lot of, like, Nickelodeon VHSs, too. Yeah. And this, for the viewers, I will, I will send Mason the link to this so that we can watch If you want to watch it, it'll be in the show description. But they're advertisements for, like, whatever, like, Paramount movies that would be on these Nick VHS tapes that kids would watch. Like, this is Andre the movie about the sea lion that, like, is friends with the girl. Oh, Searching for Bobby Fisher's great. I love Searching for Bobby Fisher. Never seen it, but that's... I'm, uh... Robert Altman's Popeye. So, yeah, yeah, all these movies would, like, pop up, and I'd be like, what are these? Who all are- these movies would pop off. These movies would pop off, actually. All these movies would cool for cats by squeeze. These movies would tempted by the fruit of another by squeeze. Uh, that's the most nostalgic thing I can think of. Like, just watching that intro, being, like, slightly younger than, like, when they actually had released it, but it was, like, a mid-'90s thing, and I was, like... You know, I'm a millennial Gen Z cusp, you know, on the show or whatever. Yeah. And Jack and I yeah, are both millennial yeah. Gen Z cusp. Mason, you're a, a young millennial. Yeah. Or a, are you, would you be, yeah, I'd be a young millennial. I, I'm the 2000 year old man. You, yes, that's true. You're the 2000 year old man. <laughs> no, I'm a young millennial. I was born in 93. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most nostalgic thing I can think of. And that unlo- memory was unlocked in me because of this album. Because it had like a similar, like, sunny, nostalgic feeling to it. Mainly the power pop stuff is what hits for me. The new wave stuff, not as much for me, but I still enjoyed this album for the most part. Let's go. If it's not clear, the track up the junction is my my uh, clear favorite. Damn. Um, as much as I love the whole thing, but a clear memory I have is when I was ringing as a summer camp counselor. Um, this is like the end of this, like last week of the summer. I'm exhausted and uh, I'm teaching like like at the summer camp I worked at every morning we would teach more like very generic summer camp things like as the day would progress we would do more like planned activity and that's like the, the fun like theme days and you know all camp activities would come in but in the mornings it was like very much like boating archery rock climbing horse like a very specific thing and i would i was uh, i would teach uh, a lot of stuff at the lake that was like my section i was signed and uh i was working boating one day and it was like three hours each hour i had a different group and i was so tired it was just the end of the summer and at one point we would have so i'm in a boat with a bunch of kids doing boating and then there's uh there's uh like people out with kayakers there's people out with uh like paddle like there's a but there's a counselor with a bunch of different groups but then there's also two boats that they're lifeguard like they're the lifeguards and so like they're actually like watching and i just distinctly remember at one point being in my own little rowboat having a portable speaker and blasting up the junction and just lying down yes, in my brother. rowboat yeah and just like staring at the sky bliss the fuck out Exactly, like just sun beating down fa- on you. Exactly, and just like fading in and out of uh, reality and consciousness, and just yeah. I think I was thinking about a girl too. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome. Most of these songs are about having girl troubles, and it's oh, just yeah. like you know, it's a you can never run out of material. Like if that's what you're writing about, yeah, yeah. All the best songs ever written are basically about that basically at the end of the day whether it's like directly about that or weirdly tangentially about that uh but this album does have like a very like 
sunny disposition to it. Very carefree attitude a lot of the time. Uh, it's like a summer album. I don't know. Like that's yeah. the impression that yeah. I get. Yeah, that's so, a great. I, this great just way. occurred to me, and it must just be all the power pop talk that we're saying. But you know what the song "It's So Dirty" reminded me of was your crotch. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, need <laughs> you, need on. you by Royal Headache that we covered on the show. Yep, don't remember no. that one at all, personally. <laughs> Sorry. What? Sorry, I don't remember that. So- Jack, I don't remember should- anything about that song. Sure. Like right after, like your summer fling has now ended in a huge crash and you're heartbroken. Yeah, it's the last week of August. You're with your friends. Getting ready for the next chapter. What? What's is that? You know, freshman year of high school. Whoa, <laughs> you're going into. But no, like I a don't very know. much young people have end, that ending the summer. Yeah, young yeah. people are always writing about relationship troubles in music. Like, yeah, I wasn't in the a state of mind to really, you know, express this sort of observation on it. But uh, when we were talking about it, but like that's kind of I get a similar just kind of like. Um, vibe from, and no one might call me crazy for this, but a similar kind of vibe separated by 50 years between this album and kind of what Subsonic Eye is doing on the nature of things. Um, just like a bunch of like just young people just hanging out and making music, just writing about their fucking life. And Noah brought up, um, you know, nostalgia and um, feeling like you're living through like a time that you never actually did with this album. And I, I agree. Like I had that feeling too. Like I was listening to this and I was like, okay, like I kind of like, if I was like 22 years old or something in England and I was just like being like, you know, girls were pissing me off. I probably had a shitty job. My parents were also being fucking assholes or whatever. Like this would be perfect music for me. Like this is all I need to hear. And as a slightly older adult, like 50 years, basically 50 years after it came out, I'm like, no, this is, it still hits. It's still good. It just, um, it makes me want to just get up and, and dance, um, and be in a, and just have a good time listening to music, you know, like, uh, I think that's kind of maybe the end of my yeah, makes you, you know? want to be around people in a way that we haven't been able to it really does. be around people. I'm serious. It makes me want to be like, uh, around, like at a like, I don't even drink and I want to be at a bar and like dance <laughs> on the dance floor and like you know just have like cut loose a little bit. The the phrase cut loose really comes to mind yeah. when I think about this. I said this is just a very it's such a loose album, extremely um, loose. You know, I don't think I don't like every single song on this. Like I said, like there are songs that lean a little bit more into the new wave synth thing that I'm not as crazy about. But the majority of them, I would say like two-thirds of the songs on this, very, very fun, very, very good. I know good is not the greatest descriptor in the whole world, but very good, very fun, makes you feel good. Do we have any other final thoughts, or can I get into some fast facts? I would love to hear some fast facts. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear some fast facts. Lay them on me. Lay them on, Jack. Here we go, Jack. Here's the first fact. Squeeze are an English rock band that came to prominence in the UK during the new wave period of the late 70s and continued recording in the 80s, 90s, and 2010s. They're still going. They took a break, but they have like kind of formed back together in like the second part of the 2010s. So maybe, I think the last album they put out was either 2015 or 2017. So maybe we're in, maybe we're due for a new Squeeze album. That would be crazy, but maybe we are. What else do we like? Squeeze had American hits with Tempted, Hourglass, 8535937, and were considered part of the second British invasion. The vast majority of their material is composed of lyrics by Chris Difford and music by Glenn Tilbrook, who are guitarist and vocalist for the band. The duo was hailed as the heirs to the Lennon and McCartney throne, 
during the initial popularity in the late 70s. How do we feel about that comparison? I mean, good, good for I them. I feel like the press was always the press was always saying that post Beatles, like they were always trying to, yeah. um, especially with duos. You know, um, I think that the the argument, the contemporary argument, I believe, is that like the two most influential British bands in the last fifty years are the Beatles and Roxy Music. So I kind of hear that, and I'm like, yeah, they're two guys that wrote a lot of really fun pop songs. Uh, it would have been interesting if they had like a Beatles kind of like career path and it's an ascension, though. I don't know yeah. if I quite agree with it, though. How do you feel about that one, Noah? Noah, I uh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, it just doesn't. It just kind of feels like one of those things that maybe at the time people felt that way, you know. And it Probably. was like, oh damn, yeah. like they're about to be on the come up, and now we're like, that never happened. Like that just feels like a, such a mark missed, you know. Major, even the ones that I'm uh, that are up and coming, I've never thought. Oh yeah, these are the next Beatles. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I could see these guys being the biggest establishment ever in the history of anything. Yeah, that's true. Well, I thought about that. Yeah. Well, I did think about that with a little band that uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but they're called uh, Imagine Dragons. Oh <laughs> fuck, dude! I hate that band. <laughs> band yes great but like that's like <laughs> ideal musicians are they the most established band in the history of all music ever <laughs> yeah are they the greatest no. are they the most influential yeah are they the most influential pop ba- band in the history of modern music or yeah. are they just someone that you're they're in a lot of commercials and are really <laughs> successful yeah yeah i was i would say that'd be 21 pilots uh the group formed in Deptford, <laughs> london in 1974 and first broke up in 1982 squeeze reformed in 1985 disbanded again in 99 the band reunited for tours through the united states and uk in 2007 in 2010 they issued spot the difference an album newly recorded versions of older material the band's first all-new material since 1998, Cradle to the Grave, was released in October of 2015, followed by the their other album, The Knowledge, in October of 2017, their 15th studio album. That's crazy. They are more prolific than maybe people give them credit for, though. That's so much music. That's, I didn't even know 15 was the, the album number. That's a lot. So much music that I don't know anyone has heard that all that music, but hey, congratulations. Uh, stylistically, Squeeze has been characterized as new wave, pop rock, post-punk, and power pop. Stephen Thomas Erlewine, I believe is how you say his name, Erlewine, of all music proclaimed the band to provide, quote, one of the links between British guitar pop and post-punk. In a January 1980 interview by Music Connection when addressing Squeeze being thought of as a punk band, Glenn Tilbrook commented, quote, I never thought that we were a punk band, although I thought we were influenced by it to a certain extent. I feel like you do not hear punk you think? Do you think that's true? I think this this era of punk sure. vibe I get from them. Um, yeah, like yeah. the British punk. I see the influence, but I would not call them a British punk pop band. No, I wouldn't either. Like the kind of um, there's a scrappiness to this music, to this album, and some of the songs here, uh, especially in the power pop stuff that. You know, it's probably it's very likely that they were listening to you know. Um, 
contemporary punk music and stealing a lot from them, like just because that's what was popular at the time and that's what you do when you're making music. Um, so I don't think that's quite a, I, I, I can kind of see where Glenn Tilbrook is coming from with that. I guess I don't hear it as much, but I do think The Clash actually is like an interesting, it's an interesting like compare and contrast type thing for that sure. era. Uh, remember or when they think of their go-to of what punk is. Um, but Do you think yeah. of The Clash immediately when you think of punk? Because I think of The Ramones. That's who I think of. a pop element to them by no means are they a pop well there's band. like hardcore punk like black flag you know and that's yeah. like very very intense yeah. like thrashing punk like nailing our skulls to the wall yeah, like type shit exactly but then you have no this like, squeeze is not that no not even pop close punk is, yeah no and these are i wouldn't even i don't even know if i would consider these guys like even on the pop punk spectrum they're pretty no, solidly yeah. like power pop to me you know yeah i would agree um, but I guess it's just, you, you know, it's just like you, you kind of, if you're an artist, you kind of just, you kind of can't help who you like come up with and especially like what else is popular at the time. So, you know, I can, you I know, if blonde, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting fact. Squeeze has been cited as influences, or excuse me, Squeeze has been cited as an influence by several bands, including American Hi-Fi, The Caulfields, Marshall Crenshaw, Kasabian, I believe is how you say that, Nightmare of You, Razor Light, and Space. Many bands and artists who would later achieve phenomenal success would begin as openers for Squeeze, including Dire Straits, wow. The Jam, wow. R.E.M., wow. The Specials, okay. U2, uh-huh. and XTC. So, wow. wow. Yeah. A lot of amazing openers wow. there. I mean... Even just like just having one of those bands be your opener is like pretty nuts. Man, like yeah. them or their management has a really good eye for talent. Um, that's really yeah. cool. That is like all. That's like almost that is batting three thousand basically. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Batting Mister Three Thousand, starring Bernie Mac. Uh, the band's second album, Cool for Cats, contained the two biggest hiding chart, highest charting UK singles in Cool for Cats and Up the Junction, both of which peaked at number two. Reviewing the album in Christgau's Record Guide, Rock Albums of the 70s by Robert Christgau, he wrote, Power Poppers, suck this stuff up, and I understand why. Not only does its songcraft surpass that of the band's debut, but it's also not quite as sophomoric. It's sophomoric enough, though, and like and like so many such records, makes you wonder where the power is. Not in the vision, that's for sure, and not in the beat. Great song, Up the Junction. Kind of a weird, I don't know why he included that last part, but that is, <laughs> it's fire, I guess. Uh, in 1995, Chris Woodstrup proclaimed Cool Forgats to be a pure pop masterpiece in the all-music guide to rock. So that's it. That's my fast facts. Uh, Jack, as you, you may or may not know. I got him. We, okay. Jack, as you, <laughs> Jack, as you may or may not know is what I was going to say. Uh, we do something here called the Mercedes Valuable Player. I'm going to remind Mason of what that is because he texts me every day saying that he forgets what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mason, are you listening closely this time? Uh, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I believe you, actually. <laughs> I believe that very much. 
The Mercedes Valuable Player is the award that we give to our favorite thing in this album. It can be a song. It can be a person. It can be an aspect. It can be ethereal. It can be specific. It can be whatever you want to be. Just don't call us late for dinner. That is the Mercedes Valuable Player. For example, I will be giving my Mercedes Valuable Player to the song Goodbye Girl. I think it perfectly encompasses what is so fun about this album. And also, I think it has the most beating heart of any song on the album. So... That is what I'll be giving my Mercedes Valuable Player award to. Mason, what gets your Mercedes Valuable Player? So, like I said earlier, my um, favorite, my two favorite, my favorite song on the album is a tie between Heart to Find and It's So Dirty. It's so hard for me to choose right now. But I, if one song has an edge to it that pushes it just slightly over, it would be the guitar solo in It's So Dirty. Um, yes. Glenn Tilbrook's guitar solo in It's So Dirty, which is, I think, just... Just fucking killer and so good. Um, And that's what gets my MVP. So you know what? Maybe It's So Dirty is my favorite song in this album, but no disrespect to Hard to Find at the end of the day. Jack, what's your Mercedes Valuable Player? Yes. Fantastic song. I'd also like to point out, uh, of four favorite songs that were mentioned, all of them are different. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is usually a staple for a pretty fucking bitchin' album. Yeah, dude. Damn. Okay. That's that is the Freiburger special. We have the Mace. <laughs> we have the McGuire test, mm-hmm. which is every song on the album is good, and the Freiburger special, which is that every person has a different favorite song. There we go. I like that. I it's, like that. It's been it's been bequeathed. Uh, yeah. I give this a regular old. Recommend. Mason? So would I. Jack? Yeah. One, One time, time, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and actually, I watched that, that, the movie that was brought on was on the free channel late at night last night, so I put that on before I went to bed. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I will say. That's awesome. Uh, let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and talk, and talk about, about this fucking, fucking movie. movie. That was awesome. That was awesome. Jack, what movie are we talking about today? The Towering Inferno. Oh, hey. snap, 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 snap. I want to make this, I want to say this before I forget. Last time you were on the show, Jack, you were on episode 19 of the show. Today, you are on episode 70 of the show. Ooh. 19. Well, was it, it was like over a year ago, wasn't it? It was February of 2020, I believe. Yeah. Wild. But you were on episode 19, and now you're on episode 70, and both things that we're talking about today are from the 1970s. What? Yes. Cool for Cats is from 1979. Oh, yeah, Lit it in just but, under there. But wait, that's... Yeah, that, what does that have to do with being on the 19th episode? <laughs> because He's just saying 19, that it was 1970. And, <laughs> <laughs> and both things that we're talking about are from the 1970s, Jack. This or 1919, but but no, this that makes a lot of sense. Fucking crazy if it was from now. That's a fast fact. Now that is 
a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> uh, that sucked. Let's talk about this fantastic movie. Okay, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> um, Jack, <laughs> what made you want to bring this movie on the show? Why pick this movie? It's awesome. <laughs> okay, Jack, what is your relationship to this movie? <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> okay, this Wait, is why I just I think I might have a. Okay. Sure are. This class well started to called <laughs> New Hollywood. Yes, and it was all about big Hollywood cinema. It was like about like. You know, starting, uh, we didn't really talk about The Godfather just because that's such a big movie, like the whole world knows, but like that kind of a thing, like starting with The Godfather to Jaws to like the big movies of the time, like going to like Jerry Bruckheimer stuff. Uh, Noah was in the class for two classes and then dropped out. Of I did. It. I did. Well, actually, I think it was one class. I think I showed up to the first class and then said, I'm not doing this. I'm leaving this class and not coming back. So, yes, but I was in that class for one day. Starting point wasn't fair. That was probably like a month into the class. Um, we're talking about Jaws, and in like that unit of big action seventies films, we watch a clip from Towering Inferno. Damn. And I was just like, "This looks interesting." And I uh, I watched it online that night, and I was like, "Oh, this is fucking awesome in every single <laughs> definition of the term." Uh, and I've seen it a couple times since then, and every time I'm like, "This bumps." Damn. Okay. okay. Very cool. <laughs> when you said I was tied to this movie, I was not expecting that to be the tie. That you're gonna be like, yeah, I've had dreams about pushing Noah off the top of the towering inferno in multiple ways. So, actually, a little bit of a relief. But Mason, you have any history with this movie at no, all? No, not with this movie in particular. Um, but I, one of my uh, a movie that I loved when I was a kid um, was the original Poseidon Adventure, which was also an Irving oh, app. Sure. The, Basically, yeah, this is like the follow up to this. Yeah, it, this is like uh, not quite the sequel, but it's like you thought you guys thought that shit was cool. Wait till you see what I have up my sleeves again. Um, but I never got around to watching this. Truthfully, I think it's because I would look at the runtime and I would, thought it was kind of daunting. Um, sure. But I was very excited that Jack brought this on because I feel like it's been on my list for a little bit without even knowing it. Um, and I love 70s shit, dude. I, I love yeah. 70s esoterica and all that kind of stuff. Um, and especially, like, mid-70s, like, what they were really throwing their money at. Like, this is money on the screen, this movie, basically. And I thought it was yeah. so interesting. But, Noah, aside from this class that you dropped... Um, do you have Let's any... Let's talk more about how I dropped a class. Yeah, that's very... Good. Listen, that's very I, respect you, I respect you for it, brother. I don't think I've ever dropped a class. Well, I, I have very specific reasons why I dropped the class, because the teacher said there will be hundreds of pages of reading due every week in this class, and it was the same semester that I was shooting my senior thesis project. Oh, you can't do So I was like, those. I don't want to do that. But then I later learned that him saying that there were going to be hundreds of pages of reading due every week was kind of 
an empty threat at the end of the day. Like, technically there was reading due, but, like, no one did it, and it was, like, a mixed grad student class with undergrads, so the grads just sort of ate up whatever there were the discussion questions. Is that fair to say, Jack? That's kind of how it went down? Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) didn't end up being a thing, but the... (laughs) Yeah, feeling very good. The establishment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all... (laughs) And we all love the establishment on this podcast. So probably just should have stuck around. But I knew that there was a time in the 70s where disaster movies were sort of ruled the roost for like half a decade, basically. And I didn't fully know that this is the movie that it all sort of culminated in, but I had a pretty good idea considering that I knew Airport came out in like 1970, I think, which was sort of the thing that kicked everything off with the disaster movie craze. But I didn't really know anything about this movie, but it also just gave me major dad vibes. Like, this is a movie that, like, my dad probably, like, saw in theaters when he was younger and, like, just had a great time with, you know? So, major dad vibes on this one. But I didn't really know anything about the movie itself going in. I didn't even know who was in the movie, to be honest with you, until I turned it on. Basically, basically, including O.J. Simpson (laughs) is in this movie. Everyone and O.J. So, very cool. Uh, But, Jack... What do you like about this movie besides the fact that it's awesome? <laughs> okay. Before, so getting to watch it with fresh eyes was just so much fun. Um, and, and he really did like it as, as much as I did. Um, the runtime is a very interesting thing with this movie because on one end... I really get when people say it's too long. Like, people will say, like, hey, it's two hours and, like, what, 45 minutes? Yeah. That's way too long for a movie. I also am like, yeah, that's true. But it's all like, once it's going, it's always going. And there's something to doing, like, a disaster film for an action film is very simple. Like, it's not complex at all. Like, there's there's no, like, Star Wars or the Avengers, you know. There's a lot of stuff and the world's in danger. Very simple thing here. And just having that simplicity but always on and just going to the max, like, full. Like, I, I kind of like that it's exhausting. Like, sure. you know, if that okay. makes sense. Like, that's half the fun of it to me. Okay. Is that it just keeps going. So, like, while I do understand somebody to say, like, it's too long, and I also did point this out, if every action movie was like this, I would not like action movies at all. Like, it's it's very much it gets lucky that I think this specific one connected with me and it worked in it. Um, I would not like it. Oh, yeah, all the fun movies just, like, knock the wind out of you. Yeah. um, (laughs) Like, there's there's a reason, like, so, so that, and that, isn't that's I think just this movie's lucky that I feel that way towards it. Um, so that's one of the things. The the other thing that we really noted that like why I really like it, like or, or why it sticks with me so much in a normal action movie is, it's. I would disagree, but you could make a very very fair argument that this is like the Fast and Furious movies of the time, and I kind of like the Fast and Furious movies. Okay. Um, as in like the plot's very simple. It's more just like. You're seeing big yeah. stuff on the screen. But what I want to say to that, why I like this so much more, it, it, for me, at least with The Fast and the Furious, and again, they're like fun movies to me, like I like them, 
it, it's their compute like computer graphics have so like just taken over big budget filmmaking that like I'm like this is cool like it's right. it's crazy to me it's super fun that they're going to space in the next one right but the fact that in these like there every like there are guys on fire yeah it's a safe setting but it's like like they're doing yeah, shit this and it's like the circus element to it where I'm just like this is fucking cool this is a movie you should def- if you are a person that likes either guys being on fire or people falling out <laughs> of or jumping from windows then this yeah. is the movie for you <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah. to that point Jack like one movie like I was thinking about like watching this movie that like you know in the 70s this was like this huge event because it was not just like uh-huh this incredible set it wasn't just like this follow-up to this huge hit movie from like the same producing directing kind of writing yeah. team it was also all of the stars in the sky coming together yeah. and all and like as an audience member i don't know if we really have a, 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 you know millennials gen z folks as well as i can understand it and speak to it like the relationship that moviegoers in the first 70 80 years had just with actors and stars is something that we really don't have Agreed. now except for, has kind well of that was my point that. like this movie is basically avengers the avengers uh yeah you know, or i would say actually more infinity war just because it's so like i don't like i love this movie and i like this movie much more than infinity war um Exactly. Star right. Wars. That's the other there thing. wasn't yeah. Fast and Fury. Like this was the only. There wasn't the one. Snyder cut. Yeah. 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 I I think um I I, I don't want to be quoted on this. I think this was the highest grossing movie of all times until Jaws dethroned it. Um, like this was a huge movie. I, I, but I'm not sure. It's interesting, Mason. I like that point about uh not having a relationship with actors in the same way that like previous generations of moviegoers did because actually it was Anthony Mackie had like a great interview like I saw a snippet of him being interviewed um a couple years ago or whatever and it really sort of clicked for me when he said this he was very very straightforward about it and it really made a lot of sense and he was like in the past you go to the movie to see Tom Cruise you go to the yeah. movie to see Julia Roberts yeah. you go to the movie to see Vince Vaughn or Zach Galifianakis whatever now you go four to four biggest stars of all time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue stars. with your point. Uh, I did try watching that movie, The Dilemma, with Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. Have you guys ever tried to watch that movie before? Uh no. And I saw. The- is that the one that's directed by Ron Howard? About like it's directed by Ron Howard. Good well, here's the thing it. that you bringing up the trailer is important because they actually got in trouble for the trailer and there's a bit in the movie and they kept the bit in the movie. Do you guys know like what I'm talking about? I, here? I have no idea. Not at all. They're like car. They like work in like the auto sector. That's like what the characters like work in the Kevin James character and Vince Vaughn character, like have a small auto business together. And they're like going to go into business with Chrysler or whatever. And they're at this meeting and they're like saying like, guys, come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Electric cars. They're good for the environment. You know, all these pluses, pluses about them, but they're gay. They're gay. And they say that in the movie, and they put that part in the trailer, and people were pissed. People were like, you can't put that in a trailer. You can't do that. And so they, like, took it out, I think, of subsequent trailers. 
But then they kept it in the movie. They yeah, kept so it in the funny. movie. That's what killed the movie star. <laughs> that is because Vince Vaughn said the electric cars are So gay. I did a little. I did a little inflation calculator on this movie. Uh, not its budget, just its gross. So here's here's how much this movie cost to make in 1974. Uh, Fourteen million dollars, which is adjusted for inflation. Uh, Hope it's so much. Uh, I hope it's so so much. I hope this movie. Was I hope way it's too a billion expensive. dollars. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, what I that hope it be, is. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. If it was over a billion fucking dollars. Uh, Seventy-five yeah. million dollars. What the fuck? That's not a billion. That's not that but, expensive. But here, so it's not an expensive movie, but it's gross in 1974 dollars, as far as I can tell, was 203 million dollars, which oh, in 19 wow. yeah, which in 1974 money was over a billion dollars. This is a huge what the check. Fuck? Fuck Wait, there's yeah. no way this movie grossed over a billion dollars. 1974. Inflation, yeah. With inflation. So much more bigger. But up until then, this was the biggest movie ever made. For like a hot second. It like had yeah. that crown for like yeah. a year, probably. Literally, yeah. Yeah. essentially. Yeah. Essentially, um, and I believe that Erwin Allen was the guy that hired Spielberg to do Jaws and like kind of got him for cheap. Let me double check that. What the hell? Probably serious? not. I think I li- I think I'm lying about that. Are you fucking serious? Berg hire Erwin Allen's kind of one of those like that period Hollywood guys who like doesn't really get talked about but just had his hands on like everything. Oh yeah. That yeah. was like prevalent. Oh yeah. Um, well, fellas, I don't mean to rain on the parade here, but I did not really like watching this movie very much. And here's, well, here's why. Here's why. For me, an action movie, we'll call it an action movie. An action movie has to either be kind of one or two things. It's either got to be like Die Hard in the sense that you really care about the characters a lot. In Die Hard, is it the most spectacular action I've ever seen in an action movie? No, not at all. But I'm very invested in John McClane. I'm yeah. very invested in, you know, his wife and the Hans Gruber characters and just the emotional stakes and just the writing in that movie is top notch. Or it's got to be like MI6 and just mm-hmm. be the most jaw dropping cool shit I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had seen this movie in 1974, it probably would be in that like MI6 category for me. But this movie's almost 50 years old now as of this recording, and it just didn't do it for me as far as that was concerned. There were moments where I was like, that is very cool, specifically when they take the elevator off of the tracks yeah. and fly it over yeah. the building. I was like, that's cool. But as a whole, not really doing it for me. Because on that specific scene, and off, oh, it's on IMDb trivia, and I meant to like double check the exact wording because I thought this would be a great thing yes. to mention on the podcast, but I couldn't remember the exact fact. But getting back to what you're saying, like that specific scene, there's one point, I forget exactly what it is, but it's you know how it's Steve McQueen and the other cop, and the other cop kind of like almost falls at one or the other firefighter yeah. almost falls at one point. Yes. So there's, like, one part of that scene where he, like, falls another, like, two feet. And Steve McQueen, like, has to kind of jump and grab him. 
And that wasn't supposed to happen. It was like the guy fell off his rig and Steve McQueen, like, grabbed him. Holy shit. And so Jeez. while, like, the action itself, like, and and the Tom Cruise doing Mission Impossible is a whole other thing. Because I like those movies more. Like, I'll just say, sure. like, those right. the Tom Cruise Mission yeah, Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, talking about other action movies, other big movies, it's like, oh, no, like, everything in a Marvel movie today is is better action like better choreography but there's such a realness to th- like it's so yeah what i authentic yeah what i appreciate about this movie is that it's it, and i think it's that like kind of old hollywood or new hollywood or whatever or yeah. i think erwin allen was a tv guy so like coming from tv so he was really like if we're spending money on this it is going on the screen yeah um and there's it's the the action sequences and they are action sequences. Like I'm not, I don't think I was really bored even the most of the runtime here, you know, and especially once things got picked up, um, because either yeah. I was like, uh, giggling my butt off at the, uh, the seventies hairstyles and the kind of seventies fashion or marveling yeah. at just like the production design of the, of the towering inferno itself, uh, or just like falling deep into Paul Newman's blue, blue eyes, you know, it happens, yeah. <laughs> uh, or just yeah. falling deep into Faye Dunaway's brown, brown eyes as it also happens. Uh, very attractive cast. I was just more like, but when the actions, when the action started, I was just like, it is so cool uh, that everyone in the scene is interacting with a, a bit of set, basically. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the Marvel mo- the Marvel movies maybe puts on more colorful spectacle or more just kind yeah. of like, I don't even know if exciting is the right word, but just more like kind of active spectacle, I think. And this movie is really more like, I really did feel in this movie like how, like the kind of the terror of being in a, slowly yeah. a slowly burning building like that's what's so yeah. i think effective about the action in this movie and the kind of the 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 yeah yes <clears throat> that's and 100% gone through the whole thing that's 100% it by the end you are actually like exhausted watching the movie as you were saying earlier jack and that is effective and i felt myself like especially as we're getting like closer and closer to the end of the movie i was like damn like this is like long and i'm feeling it and then by the end of the movie i was like oh they that it was on purpose they wanted <laughs> you to be tired they wanted you to be exhausted because that is part of the deal of watching a building catch on fire is it takes a long time for it things to culminate so yeah. that is smart i think on the filmmakers end to really make you feel the runtime in a way that doesn't I well personally I don't know if I like the runtime of this film but like in a way that is like additive to the experience and not just yeah. this movie is 3 yeah. hours suck my dick yeah. you yeah, know Yeah exactly yeah. like like Martin Scorsese with the Irish <laughs> No, yeah, like no that's a great that. movie that's a great movie <laughs> and the like... runtime on that one is justified I kind of agree with you though Noah I would I wouldn't be too upset if like 20 minutes were found here and there, especially the, um, yeah, I don't know who the actor is, but the, uh, but, uh, the guy that puts the wet towel on his head to try to outrun the fire. Oh, Robert Wagner. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The man returns. He returns. I get what you're saying, but I, I, because you know what I think is, a, and I didn't realize this until you were saying about how much you love the, the 70s element of it, but I, that's like definitely something that adds to this movie and it's just the luck of the movie is it is it is if you see the 70s as an ip this is avengers endgame yeah uh you know 
And it's such a combination of everything from the design, from the feel, from the actors that they've chosen. So yeah, having Robert Ragnar in that crazy scene, um, it was like, you know, when Ant-Man showed up and did that cool <laughs> thing. Was it necessary? Probably not, but I was glad that it was there. Something that is interesting about this movie is that it takes place in San Francisco. Yeah. And San Francisco is like such an underrated place to keep like have a movie take place because it has such a specific beauty to it that I don't think a lot of other places have. But we're inside a tower most of the time. So you don't get to see a lot of San Francisco right. in this movie, which I'm not saying that that's like something they should have done, but I just think it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Like this movie wouldn't yeah. benefit I think from that being they use, No, I agree with you. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think that they use like the song because like San Francisco, you know, you think of the the Golden Gate Bridge, and I think that there's a couple shots where you can see the Golden Gate Bridge out, but there's also like the pointy. I think it's the Trans America Building that they use once to show like the scale of the glass tower, and then they yeah. also use I forget the name of the exact building, but they do use a building to kind of like. Um, save some people i guess that's what's like why i like the set even if they don't like you know quote unquote use it like the city uh, the city is not a character in this film as it is uh <laughs> it's just the setting of the movie yeah um i liked it at san francisco though because like you don't think of san francisco as like a skyscraper city and just the idea yeah. that there's like i don't know it's kind of believable to me that like some rich fuck in san francisco would want to make a giant glass vanity project uh, and skirt on um, the safety of that building uh, in that in that city in particular. I also love, um, yeah. you know, uh, I, I not a lot of movies can say this, but it is nice that this movie did have a, a positive, I think, uh, change on the world. And that is um, oily, dirty rags aren't left in front of electrical equipment anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all that's the kind of the whole point of Goodfellas too, right? <laughs> Is that you don't want to leave oily, raggy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and being a in a, a a a model and a a diorama of American masculinity, <laughs> like a, a yeah. searing indictment of the mafia. Well, in Casablanca, isn't the opening line of that movie is "I kept a rag in front of, a, in front of an electrical fire and some bad shit happened." Mentioned it in Casablanca became a prolific problem. Deal with it in Towering Inferno and Goodfellas hammered it home. They really, yeah, they resolved it once and for all for a new generation of filmgoers. They were like, this has been, we've been fucking dealing with this bullshit for so long. Do not leave your oily rag in front of electrical outlets. Uh, I did think it was kind of silly that it is started by just like faulty wiring. Like, there was something about that that just felt like a little bit like, Oh, that's how the fire starts. Like it didn't. It wasn't like this dramatic. Like I'm carrying like a flaming drink, and then oh no! And oh I, like, no! Someone dropped the baked Alaska. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So seventies, and there's stuff that they do that's like, oh, if I was, if you were to make a movie today, like you would avoid that. But it's such a staple of the time that there's a charm to it. Um, and the the one thing that the faulty wiring brings in is we get that just 70s villain who's just a villain because he's a greedy bad dude oh god um, and he has that like yeah and, and he looks like and he's sh- and he's the the son-in-law like yeah it, um, I love a and i think that's like 
Yeah, exactly. And that's like, I think what the faulty wiring brings us is there's just such another element of just the like corporate hatred of the man, yeah. like from the time, or I'm sorry, uh, the hatred towards like the corporate man. Yeah, towards, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, but at the same time, I do see what you're saying. Like, yeah, it would have been cool if there was like a more dramatic, but I think that plays into how it starts so small sure. and gets so right. big. Cause they don't um, notice like it it's for part, a long time. Uh, yeah. Like, and it's also like, it's, I find it so interesting and I wonder like what this would look like in a real building that like they, it's at one point so small, they don't feel the need to like do anything about it. It's just like, oh, this will be taken care of. This isn't a priority. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's true. I mean, I, I'm sure like there's a comical point. Like I, if a full room was on fire, I'm sure wherever you were, they would evacuate the whole building. But I do also like that there's that point where it's thought just to be under control and it just keeps growing and growing. OJ Simpson is in this movie. Can we talk about the fact yeah, that OJ is in that. this movie? <laughs> yeah. And he saves a cat. Literally he saves the, a cat. He does the definition of a good person. Dude, it is insane to watch him just, like, people are, it's crazy to watch people treat him normal. Like, that's like, yeah. that's just like a crazy thing to watch. People just be like, we have to take care of this problem. And he's like, that's fine. I will take care of this problem. When Steve McQueen called him Juice. That <laughs> <laughs> that was really fucked up, and then he's that, like, yeah. go I was like, they should commit to one of them. Yeah. <laughs> go along, and OJ's like, well, there's a fire, and he's like, I don't care. You're about to be on fire. Throw me the fire. Him. Throw me yeah, the fire. Yeah. yeah, that part was awesome. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I like that you guys like this movie. I don't like this movie all that much, but I can appreciate everything that you guys are yeah. saying about it um, as far as what you do enjoy it about it. And I would have loved to have seen it in the theater in 1974 yeah. because I yeah. really do think I'd been like, that was so fucking cool. That was fun for me. Yeah. You know, but yeah. unable to go there, unfortunately, now, just knowing what I know now about action. Yeah. So there's a classic. There's a classic picture of the um, the Cinerama Dome showing the towering Inferno. And I'm like, that would have been yeah. the best place to see oh, this fucking movie. That would have been awesome. But sitting uh, in the bottom, because it's one of the only places that sitting closer to the screen is better than sitting far away from the screen. Yes. We all agree. But we won't have, have to worry about that because it's not open. <laughs> and then it's yeah. not open right now, which yeah. sucks. So we'll yeah, see what happens. That's a shame. Uh, is there anything else worth mentioning about The oh, Tower Inferno? I know a little fun fact about this movie that I, I will say does not play to the strengths of it. But, uh, okay, that's fine. So, so you know how Steve McQ- like I like the Steve McQueen character because he's a secondary hero. Yeah. But like he like I think we can agree that he's weird in that movie. Yeah, he is movie. weird in that movie. <laughs> Very strange. Like it's 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 weird. Um, and he actually so this is at the time and and like I'm I really want to do more uh research into this because I've heard a couple things on a couple movies about this and I just find this era so fascinating. But there was a time where Steve McQueen, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, and Paul Newman were all like the four biggest stars in the world. And with the exception of Paul Newman and Robert Redford being a duo, like they were all like going after each other, like in their careers. Like, Like they were like specifically talking to their agents saying like, Oh, if Dustin Hoffman does this kind of movie, I want to do this the same kind of movie six months earlier. Like, like they were gunning for each other, and it was always like when one of them was in a bit, like they were at each other's wow. throats. And as the second lead, 
there was a part of Steve McQueen's uh, contract that he had to have the and despite coming in one third of the way into the movie, he had to have the exact same amount of lines as Paul Newman. And that's why the sec- the second two thirds, there's a lot of just like, oh, we're really going with Steve McQueen for a bit. Um, he had to have the exact same amount of dialogue that Paul Newman did. And it's weird. like to a to account, and they have the exact same. You know, it's, it's so weird that Steve McQueen is that character at all. Like, yeah, that, that yeah. could have been anyone, truthfully. And yeah. Steve McQueen could have been a different character, but he had to be the heroic firefighter because at the beginning of the movie, before the movie even starts. This movie is dedicated to the firefighters of America. We salute you for your hard work. And I'm like, that is weird to put that at the beginning of the movie and not like the very (laughs) end of the movie. But hey, I'm not John Guillermo, whatever his name is, you know, who did it. I'm not Irwin Allen. They obviously had their reasons, but I thought that was weird. Right, Mason? Uh, No, no, no. I was just listening. Uh, (laughs) I actually kind of wanted to bring up the Steve McQueen and Paul Newman-ness of it. I love... I don't know if it's just because, uh, I don't know if this is a thing where, like, Steve McQueen was just, like, kind of, uh, out, like, tired and didn't, like, maybe not entirely want to make the movie, but his performance in this I actually really like because I think he plays just, like, guy who is beat down by his fucking day so well. Yeah. <laughs> where he's just, like... He does. Like, by, like oh, yeah. towards, the, like, the last third of the movie, it's, like, some other, like, commander or something will come up to him and he'll just be, like what do you need me to do now? Like, he's so burdened <laughs> with being, like, the coolest guy of all time. Oh, that the movie he was literally the ends with him lecturing the audience so he doesn't have to do his, like, as hard as his job anymore. <laughs> like, make my fucking life easier, guys. Listen to us. Like, and, and he just gets in a car and drives away. I think that's he, so incredible. If he was the lead of the movie, I wouldn't be as into it, but I love that he's an element of it. Like, Definitely. that character is great. We love it. I got some fast facts if we want to hear some fast facts. Let's do it, brother. Absolutely. All right. The Towering Inferno. <laughs> That's the movie we're talking about. 1974 American Disaster Film produced by Urban Allen featuring an ensemble cast led by Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. Directed by John Guillermin. the film is a co-production between 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers, the first to be a joint venture by two major Hollywood studios ever. Wow. Nuts. Nuts. And there actually is sort of this like weird twos thing that happens throughout the movie because you have two studios Fox and Warner Brothers two stars that get the same double billing McQueen and Newman two DPs for the film you have a separate guy doing aerial stuff and a separate guy shooting the movie Mm -hmm. and the movie is based on two books combined yes yeah so kind of a weird twos situation going on with like some of the like broader aspects and of the film. you know that's that's so the reason why they were gonna the why they jointed it is each studio bought the rights to one of the two books Oh, classic and it was just like they were both gonna do because disaster movies were so popular they were both gonna do a burning building movie and i don't know if it was Irwin allen or someone else but they just like pitched like let's just make it a super big movie and that's what happened and it was so uh, and it was adapted by Sterling Siliphant, uh, which is a crazy name, by the novels The Tower from 1973 by Mar- Richard Martin Stern and The Glass Inferno from 1974. This movie was nominated for eight Oscars when it came out, which is kind of wild to think that this kind of movie received so much awards attention mm-hmm. in the fact that it is a disaster genre action film. But at the time, 
it kind of was the thing to get all. Well, I was gonna say, I think movie. it's a sh- it's a shame, and I get why people don't like action movies as much now. But I think the market's been very diluted by action movies. 100%. But like this is a time like the same goes with like Jaws and the first Star Wars movies, where there was just a big action movie and it was just treated like one of the movies. And if it was well yeah. done, it was just a contender for being a great movie. Yeah, and now um, like, you're right. It's, now no. it's just literally every movie's an action movie. And I'm like, can we yeah, stop? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can I just yeah. get two people talking in a room, please? Yeah. <laughs> While the exactly. b- building they're in is on fire. Yeah. Uh, and it Kong won... Sue's The Towering Inferno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this movie won three Oscars, too. It won Best Original Song, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. Uh, the Golden Age of Disaster Films began in 1970 with the release of Airport, a huge financial success, earning... More than 100 million, which is 597 million in 2017 adjusted inflation dollars at the box office. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, winning for Best uh, Supporting Actress for Helen Hayes. With the 1972 release of The Poseidon Adventure, another huge financial success with 84 million in US and Canada gross theatrical rentals, which is 490 million in 2017 adjusted inflation dollars. The disaster film officially became a movie going craze. The Poseidon Adventure was nominated for eight Academy Awards and won for Best Original Song and a Special Achievement Oscar for Best Visual Effects before it became its own category. And obviously, it reached a zenith with The Towering Inferno, Earthquake, and Airport 1975 in the year 1974. The competing films enjoyed staggering success at the boss office with The Towering Inferno earning $116 million, which is $548 million in 2017 adjusted dollars. Earthquake with $79 million, which is $376 million. And Airport 1975 earning $47 million, which is $235 million in adjusted inflation. All of those movies would be uh, sequel farms forever if they came out yeah. today. So There are a million very... airport movies in the 70s, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the resurgence of big budget productions of the, the genre aided by advancements in CGI. There's a little bit of a spike in the 90s, including Twister, Independence Day, Daylight, Dante's Peak, Hard Rain, Deep Impact, and Armageddon. Uh, but as far as facts about the movie itself goes, here we go. We're going to get into a little bit of that, a little bit of that actor drama. Mm. McQueen, Newman, and William Holden all wanted top billing. William Holden. We didn't even talk about the fact that William Holden is also in this movie because it's just yeah. like at a certain point, actually, who cares that he's in this movie a little bit? Uh, but they all wanted top billing. Holden was refused. His long-term standing as an off box office draw had been eclipsed by both McQueen and Newman, and to provide top billing for both. McQueen and Newman, the credits were arranged diagonally with McQueen's name in the lower left and McNewman's in the upper right, thus appeared to each have first billing depending on whether... Yeah, we actually read. talked about that in that class you dropped. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Wish I would have been there for that. Haha, ha, took an art history class instead. Learned a lot. Haha, ha, very cool. Uh, thus, they also both appear to have first billing depending on whether the credit was uh, read left to right or top to bottom. This was the first time that staggered but equal billing was used in a movie, although it had been considered earlier for the same two regarding uh, for the same actor or for two actors regarding Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Until McQueen turned down Sundance Kid and Redford took over in that role, uh, McQueen is mentioned in the first of the film's trailers in the cast list, rolling from top to bottom at the film's end. However, McQueen and Newman's names were arranged diagonally at the beginning. As a consequence, Newman's name is fully visible first. Both McQueen and Newman were paid one million dollars each nice although famed for his dancing and singing fred astaire received his only oscar nomination for this role in his movie he that's is, a crazy one we didn't talk about fred astaire is yeah in this. who 
Which one is Fred Astaire in he's the movie? The, he's actually my like favorite character in the movie. Um, he's the guy that has um, he he has the crush on the nice older lady. Um, oh yes, okay. Yeah, he's yeah. and he's like yeah, and he's like coming in like with fake stocks or something like that. He's just like a, an old con man. Um, yeah, I'd appreciate a sequel about his antics, but I don't think we're gonna get that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. But he did win a BAFTA and Golden Globe for his performance in Towering Inferno, so shout out to that. Good for him. This is my favorite fast fact of the whole episode. According to actor-slash-stuntman Ernie F. Orsati, Faye Dunaway was often late to set or didn't appear at all. This made some scenes literally impossible to film and caused actors such as William Holden and Jennifer Jones to be quite upset. Holden reportedly shoved Faye Dunaway against the wall and threatened her for oh not showing God. up. Wow, I didn't hear. I heard Faye Dunaway did not want to do this movie. It I did seem not like hear she that to do story. This movie, honestly. Yeah, well, yeah. I've heard that she movie. did not. This was a cash grab. I had not heard that story though about the wall. That's insane. And then apparently she just showed up the next month and like never missed a call time ever. So shout out to William Holden for fucking cracking the whip and riding that ship into a storm. Um, I guess. Well, listen. <laughs> I was going to do that aside from shoving someone against the wall. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, in an interview given years after the film was released, Sterling Siliphant said that he always sat under a sprinkler system head when visiting a building. He said that he did that because he learned it from a fireman he interviewed while researching this movie. Hmm. Huh. It's cool. When we're allowed inside of buildings again, you just stand under the uh, stand under the fucking fire sprinkler system. Uh, industry rumors circulated that Jennifer Jones received the part of Lizalette once Olivia de Havilland had turned it down due to the influence Jones's husband, Norton Simon, had over 20th Century Fox. He had a large amount of stock in 20th Century Fox, and he also loaned the production some Pablo Picasso paintings for the movie. I did hear that. Yeah, that the paintings are authentic. That's just nuts. That is so nuts to have authentic Picassos in a movie like this. Yeah. So fucked. Two more facts. Desperate to capture a truly surprised reaction from the cast. This one might be tied for my favorite fact, actually. Erwin Allen actually fired a handgun into the ceiling without warning the actors, who were understandably surprised. The trick worked, and he got his shot. I don't know what part of the movie that is, but that is so awesome to just fire a handgun into the ceiling to get what you need. I wonder if that's when the, the elevator comes back up and everyone's on fire. I hope like, so. Like, the elevator doors open and just, like, all the people on fire come running out. <laughs> and, or, yeah, would, and the director and the producer of the movie is just standing there with, a, with like, a revolver yeah. just shooting <laughs> into the ceiling. <laughs> that, was the, too. that was the first ever desk pop. That was what they did the desk pop. That's what they modeled that after. Uh, and then principal photography for The Towering Inferno was ironically completed on September 11th, 1974. Um, kind of an ironic twist. Kind of an ironic twist of fate, yeah. I would say. Yeah. For September 11th, something that yeah. I actually forgot about until we started talking about it at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, on its 27th so. anniversary. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> something similar to its 27th anniversary. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable for player for this is the sequence of all the water coming down at the end. That's, That's just like a nice scene. little like piece of filmmaking where it's just like, bam, there's like no dialogue. It's all sound and images and the water is just being fucking released from the top of the building and it's all just being crashing down through that stairwell. That was very cool. That's my favorite part of the movie. Uh, that's my Mercedes Valuable Player. Mason, what about you? My Mercedes Valuable Player goes to Steve McQueen. 
unfortunate. That is so fucked, dude. <laughs> just for, uh, I know you guys were too keen on the performance. I love just like uh, a guy who uh, uh, just shows up and doesn't is so burdened by the, the job. Like is the best person ever at his job, basically. And shows up and hates that he has to do this job that only he can do. I, I love it. I thought it was so cool. I thought it was so funny. Is that how you feel every day when you log into... <laughs> It's like, yes. I'm the best at this, and I have to do it. I'm burdened yes. by this task. Yes. Yeah. Jack, what about you? What's um, your Mercedes value? Uh, so many. It's it's going to be hard to think. I got to say, so uh, in terms of actors, the one that I'm considering, don't know if I'm willing to give him the mantle yet, but uh, Paul Newman, he encapsulates just what that archetype needs to be of just the hero better than anyone. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I mean... Like, before doing the spin on it. Like, you could say, like, Bruce Willis at, in Die Hard, like, is your best one. But that's that's not the true just 70s hero. Sure. Like, Paul Newman is perfect at it. Um, which he is in almost every movie. And I think this is one of his best just being the hero performances. Um, so he's a big contender for me. I love that. Um, I know we were kind of shitting on it earlier. But I and it's it might be because it's a little tongue in cheek. But the sequence when Robert Ragnar has the towel on his head and is just running through the fire and is just it's one of my favorite fire sequences in the movie, um, especially because that, that scene is so wild. Again, I think I like it more for a tongue in cheek reason. Sure. But like and with the girlfriend trapped in the room yeah, and, and it's insane. Uh so that that's a sequence I really like, um, but I think I'm gonna give it to uh, the elevator sequence. Yeah, that it's such it's cool. the second wind of the movie. Um, like, so I was watching it with my roommate, and uh, kind of on the uh, the the runtime, we had to pause it. Unfortunately, we had to watch it progressively over the course of uh, of one night, but we had to take like a 30 minute break for some reason. I can't remember why. But we've taken our 30-minute break. We are now going back into the movie. And my roommate, Liam, says to me, you know, I'm liking it. The one thing I will say, which is what it seems like people on the internet are saying, is the runtime. It's a little long. And then immediately we go into that uh, elevator scene. And he goes, I'm, I take that back. This is awesome. I love it. I lo- this is perfect. Um, and it is. that's the second wind of the movie. It's the second wind of the movie. It's awesome. Um, so I'm going to give it to that. Definitely with an influence on my most recent viewing, but I'm going to give the elevator sequence my MVP. Nice. Yeah, we love that for the elevator sequence. Probably the coolest like moment of like, like it's probably the coolest set piece in the film. I think yeah. it's hard to argue that. Uh, I do not recommend this movie, Mason. Uh, I'll regular roll recommend this movie. Um, yeah, Jack. I give it a recommend. Love that. All right. Love that. Nice and quick. We did it. We did, we did it. it at the show. We podcasted. We, sh- we podcasted. We did a yeah. thing that was so fun. I feel like I'm adulting like a boss right now. Shut up, <laughs> uh, Jack. <laughs> shut, shut up, dude. Shut the fuck up. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank I, you for having me. I think it's been, I think we, what was I, what's the phrase here? A little bit past due. I feel like we, we you know, we've been yeah. having less guests this season, just so that Mason and I can discuss a little bit of stuff that we also like. But I feel like we, you know, oh, we haven't had Jack on in a while. It's been a while. It's been over a year. So thanks for coming back on. Well, I was glad to do it. Thank you for having me. It's always a fun time. You're so welcome. Now is the reason you came on the show. You get to plug whatever you want to plug. So go ahead and plug whatever you want. 
I, I don't really have anything. Fuck, <laughs> dude. Um, I'm a, I'm kind of I'm I suck. I'm well. You're I'm between just, projects uh, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, we'll say that I'm between projects. Well, you can follow that guy on Twitter and Instagram at least. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, do that if you want. At Jack Fribes. Love it. <laughs> Fribes, Fribes spelled F R I B E S. Yeah, Fribes. Those but one, but it, but with Jack, since it's an at, it's one word. There's no like underscore. Oh, okay. Jack Fribes, one word at sign at the beginning. J A C K F R I B E S. Oh, okay, right. very cool. Uh, Mason, should I do my plugs first, and then you should do your plugs? Let's yeah, do go ahead, go ahead. Let's do that. Uh, as always, Twitter, and Instagram at Noah Marger on Twitter at Noah Marger on Instagram. Letterboxed at Moa Narger. I feel like I've been fucking up. The my favorite podcast plugs. I feel like I've been accidentally plugging things either a week early of late or a week too late. I feel like I've been fucking that up. So, just to get our story straight here, this week is the first ever mailbag episode of my favorite podcast with Jake Ellen Bogan and Chris Chalakian, two mm. guys who have been on this show before many times, two guys who have been on my favorite podcast as well. Check out that episode coming out. Well, I guess it would be yesterday as of this episode's coming out, but it came out, it comes out on Thursdays. The episodes for my favorite podcast come out on Thursdays. Last week, we talked to Ryan Maloney about the Oakland A's in baseball. That was the episode that came out last week. Go check that episode out. And then the week before that was Emily Serie's episode talking about cookies. That's a very fun episode. We do an award show at the end. Very fun. Everybody laughed. Everybody cried. Everyone got a little pissed off. Uh, so very cool. So Emily Serie two weeks ago, Ryan Maloney last week, mailbag episode this week i feel like i've been fucking up the plugs a little bit these last couple weeks and just saying things when they're not actually coming out so that's the schedule that's the order i'm sticking to it you can also watch your local government stuff on instagram and youtube yg.world on instagram your local government comedy on youtube and all those links are in the link tree that is what it's called the link tree below that is all my plugs as always mason wrap us out bring us home uh, all my shit's in the link tree. Instagram is mostly where I'm at. Either Hot Dog Debicki or Good Sky Tonight. I'm also on Letterboxd under my name, Mason M. I also have my podcast, The Bar and a Podcast about The Shield. Trying to get something uh, else going in the works with Connor and a uh, recurring guest from The Barn. Uh, but, you know, we are, uh, again, as I say most of the time, it's a good time to start The Shield and listen along to the show because we are basically done with it. Um, other than that, um, I have nothing else really to plug. Before you do your little normal wrap out, we forgot to do it, but you can send an email to this show. We always forget to do the email. We to send it. Folks, send an email. Uh, everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, rate, review, and subscribe us uh, to the show. Please tell your friends. Uh, and uh, yeah, so do that. Help us out. And we love you. We will continue to love you. And to wrap us out, as we always do, uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter. Uh, fuck the police, fuck the president, love your neighbors, love your friends, love your family. Tell someone you love that you love them this week. And as you do that, we will be preparing for to go again next time. All right, bye. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. 
The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby.